Hello, I'm Lisa Bien, and welcome to Bouncing Back. America is in the throes of an opioid epidemic. It can strike anyone, anywhere, and is tearing at the threads of American society. Tens of thousands of individuals become victims every year, suffering from addictions, overdoses, and even death. And then there are those who must endure, the families and the friends who must cope with the inconceivable loss and unimaginable pain. And while heroin is perhaps the drug that many of us would assume to be the root cause of this horrific situation, people are turning in increasing numbers to fentanyl, which is actually responsible for over a third of all opioid-related deaths in the USA. As a mother, teacher, and a member of this community, I feel so very connected to this topic because it's robbing parents of their children across the country. We all want to protect our friends, and our family and our loved ones from the ravages of this epidemic, but we need better tools to do so. Today, we're going to learn how a strong and determined woman is confronting and conquering the pain that hurt caused by the opioid epidemic. Let's get started. Hello, I'm Lisa Bien, and welcome to Bouncing Back. God makes a way. Be honest and communicate. Your authentic self is yeah. so critical. Thanks for joining us on this edition of Bouncing Back. Let's welcome our guest, Gail Smith, is joining us today to speak to you from two perspectives. The first is hers from years of experience as a professional counselor. But more importantly is the second perspective, a mother's journey with her addicted son. She has watched her son battle and suffer through this awful disease called addiction, a battle he ultimately lost this past August. He was just 21 years old. Thank you for taking the time, Gail, to share your story with us. Our next guest is Dr. Joseph Diorazio, who is an emergency medicine and physician and toxicologist here at Temple University Hospital. He has an incredible depth of understanding of the nature of the opioid epidemic and is treating the disease on the front lines every day. So thank you both for joining us today. Thank you and for having the courage to share your story. And I know that when we met, you said, I want to go and I want to be on your show and I want to share your story. So for the people who are just joining us, can tell us, tell us what, start where you want to start. Well, I, I want to start by saying that um, if you had told me 10 years ago that I would be sitting here talking about um, being affected by addiction personally, I wouldn't have believed it. We lived in a nice house. We had a good family. We took vacations every year. We took ski trips. We took beach trips. We did all the things that good families do. So how could this be? Not us, but it was us. Um, addiction did affect our family, despite all the things that we thought we were doing right. I think it's. I think that's why I'm a little obsessed with this a little bit and 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 I guess the word is obsessed with this topic and is that I think it's it, it because it's so prevalent right now in all communities you know we both live in in an affluent community and that you would say oh that's not happening in this neighborhood so it seems like doctor it seems like it's becoming the drug of choice for everybody 
Well, certainly it's become the leading cause of injury death in America today, you know, surpassing motor vehicle accidents as uh, the major cause of injury death. And so while this has historically been an urban problem, it certainly is reaching the suburbs and more affluent communities as the pharmaceutical, you know, the prescription drug abuse epidemic has picked up. So when we were talking the other day on the phone, I said to, I said to you, I said, well, it seems like it's new. And it's certainly not a new problem. This has been around for ages. Certainly we saw a, a large opioid epidemic during the Vietnam era as soldiers were coming home from Vietnam. They brought their experiences from Vietnam home with them. But really the, the major uh, reason for the recent opioid epidemic is because of the increase in prescription opioids. So Gail, if you can, um, and take your time, can you share with us a, a little bit about Kenny before he got addicted or he started using this drug and then what what life was like for you and sure yeah um, before he got involved with drugs he was a typical young man little boy um, very involved in athletics um, had a lot of friends was very social very popular with his peers um, I shared a little bit about you know we did all the good things that good families do. Um, he started experimenting with alcohol and marijuana at about age 16. Um, and, and from that age, he um, continued to progress and continued to um, experiment with different drugs and the severity and just grew from there. Um, during that time, um, we, we tried to get him into individual counseling and outpatient. Um, How did you know that what were the signs? Like, how did you know that he was experimenting with drugs? Um, his friends, his friend groups changed. His grades started to plummet. Um, spent a lot of time by himself. Um, we could see the physical signs. We started to see the physical signs. So, are there other signs that parents can look for when they notice that there's something maybe not right with their child? Something's happened. I, th I think Gail sort of hit on the two major ones, you know, that grades are dropping, their personality changes, the people they hang out with change, absolutely. So, and maybe you can both talk about this as we know, we all have, you know, I have children, you have children, we, uh, if, so you notice that there's a change, what do you do? Well, well at that time, um, we tried to get him into um, treatment all while allowing him to continue high school, which um, was a catch-22. You know, um, do we rip him out of high school, and or do we let him continue high school? And so we tried the outpatient mm -hmm. um, type of treatments, but that didn't seem to work for him because he wasn't invested in that. He was doing that more because of his parents wanted him to do that. And that's really important when it comes to treating addiction. You know, you really need to have the person who is being treated um, bought into the process. Uh, it's really hard to treat people that have an addiction that don't want to stop or don't have any interest in stopping. And that, and usually those therapies are not very successful when you approach a patient who's not interested in stopping. And it's got to be gut-wrenching mm -hmm. for the families. Here you see your loved one getting a attached almost, an addiction, you know, there's abuse. So there's a difference between abuse, drug abuse, and drug addiction, correct? 
He was, was he just abusing this at this time? At this point it was still, uh, I would say at the abuse stage. It was at the abuse stage. And so what do we do then? If we have somebody who's abusing drugs and they don't want to get engaged, what, what was your, what did you and your family do? Um, ultimately at that point what we did was we had someone come and take him out of his bed in the middle of the night and take him to a treatment center. Um, while he was still in high school. So he wound up spending nine months at a treatment center in Florida, um, finished high school there, and then came back home again. So that would be referred to, I guess, is that considered an intervention or there's a term? Yeah, that would, that was, it was a strong intervention. It was a strong intervention. Wow, so that must have been hard, you know, really hard to, that part was really hard on you and your family. Oh, it was extremely hard. It was the second worst day of my life. Well, and you're here today to talk about it. So you had hired somebody, I guess, to come and take him in the middle of the night and take him to an intervention, a treatment, a treatment center. center for how long? It w he was there for nine months, and this was when he was 17. So when he's 17, where was it? He was in Florida. Okay, and, and it seems like there's a lot of places in Florida. Is that popular, or is there a reason that there's a lot of places in Florida? Uh, s there's a, actually probably the state that probably has the worst uh, prescription opioid epidemic in the country is in Florida, so I think that's probably the, the origin of why there's so many treatment centers there. California and certainly Pennsylvania are other states that are high um, up there with, along with Florida. So now he's 17. This is, uh, and I really appreciate you sharing. He's 17 and he's in this treatment center and he comes out. And he comes back home. Okay, and what is life like for you and your family? It's great for about three weeks. Okay. Um, we have our son back for a short time. And then the cycle began again after three weeks. And this, this cycle is the drug abuse going, because. The addiction is so great that he can't stay away. Is that what it is? That the addiction is, it's, I know you have not, you, you're the expert, okay? So tell us why it's, why is this addiction so different than alcohol or marijuana use? It seems like, and maybe I'm wrong, it just seems like this addiction is one you, you just can't kick so quickly. Well, there's certainly a uh, physiologic and a psychological addiction to this drug. Um, the, the physical part of it, uh, you know, the drug attaches to an opioid receptor and releases, you know, it's sort of the pain receptor for the body, but it also releases dopamine, which is the reward neurotransmitter in the brain. And so it tells that person who's abusing that opioid to use it again because this is, makes you feel good and it gives you that rush and people go back to using it. And once they start using it just a little bit, they requires more and more drug to get them that rush. And so uh, as their tolerance builds, uh, the physiologic addiction builds and it's really hard to stop. And actually when someone is physiologically addicted to an opioid, when they stop, they have withdrawal symptoms. Uh, abdominal pain, nausea, vomiting, diarrhea. Uh, and then 
uh, its brain essentially tells them to you know go back to using because it's going to take away the withdrawal, but also it, it gives them more of that dopamine, which is that reward neurotransmitter that makes them feel good. So there is both a physiologic and a psychological addiction to that drug, just like other drugs right. too. Well, we're going to take a break right here, and we're going to continue our conversation about bouncing back into happiness, and uh, we'll come right back. Welcome back. We're talking about bouncing back from loss from a heroin addiction with our guests, Gail Smith and Dr. Dorazio. So let's go back a little bit because we were talking about the, the drug and why it is so addictive. And then you jumped into the negative. But I want to hear from Gail when her son, when did he get introduced to heroin? Because you said he started out with drinking and, and, and marijuana, which I don't want to say that families say that's okay, but there's a lot of people out there that say, well, of course your kids are going to drink when they're in high school. That's normal. And oh, marijuana usage, that's kind of, it's illegal, but look, they're legalizing it everywhere. So where, where are we now with your son? He's 17. He's back three weeks. You thought you had your son and you did. Right. And, and then the marijuana and the alcohol, and then it progressed to cocaine and hallucinogenics and probably about a, a year and a half ago from inside of himself. And how do we get that desire to happen? It's, really, it's a tough question. I think it's a tough answer to have, too. I don't think there's a specific way. You know, certainly there's times for therapeutic intervention. Uh, I think uh, when I, in my practice, non-fatal overdose is that situation when someone comes to the emergency department that, and they've been given naloxone that's a very good opportunity. You know, you think maybe someone has hit rock bottom at that point. But even uh, those patients uh, typically don't want to talk about recovery at that stage and, uh, you know, want to run out the door to get back uh, to using heroin. So, I'm sorry, you said it was Redoxone that they give? Naloxone. No, no, okay, that they give to patients that are stop breathing. Like, what ha when they have an overdose? Is yeah, so when someone uh, uses heroin, it's, it, it attaches to the opioid receptor, which is the pain receptor in the body, but it also controls uh, the breathing center for the body. So as that drug attaches to the receptor, it will slow down your breathing, and so people become sleepy, they breathe very slowly, and then if someone takes too large of a dose, it stops their breathing, and so they can, and that's how um, someone would die from a heroin overdose. And naloxone is the drug that we use to reverse the effects of an opioid. So it uh, blocks that receptor, it gets them breathing again, and that's the, the rescue medication that you may have heard in the news about uh, firemen and police officers carrying. And actually, it's a standing order in any pharmacy. Anyone can go into a pharmacy and obtain naloxone, uh, especially a family member. If you know a family member is abusing her, when you can go and get naloxone and have it around the house. So. Did you have this? In, did you have this in the house? Like, and did you quickly have to become a student of her, like, addiction? And unfortunately, yes. Um, my husband, myself, and my daughter became very studious of this drug. And and yes, we did get trained in Narcan. Unfortunately, we were not um, where my son was when he overdosed, so we didn't get a chance to use this on him. So he's. 17 he's dating somebody and and he's and he's spiraling out of control with the heroin he's living in a car mm -hmm. 
in front of your house. Take us to how he gets in another treatment. Does he decide, this is it, Mom, yep. I'm going to get well, I've hit rock bottom, and he says, get me help. Yes, that's basically the way it happened. Um, he, he finally decided that he was going to go to treatment because he needed it this time, and he was going to do it for himself. Um, so May 10th, the day after Mother's Day, my husband drove him to the airport and got him on a plane, and um, he went to a treatment center, another treatment center, a different one than the one when he was 17, and um, he started treatment there, detox and treatment there. Um, relapsed several times while he was there, and then... So when they relapse mm -hmm. and they're in a treatment center, but what does that mean? Does that mean you're using and we're kicking you out, and then you have to go back in? You know what? How how is that handled? Well, in in my son's case, when he would relapse, they they would transport him to a different uh, treatment center, and so with the best of our, our knowledge, he had relapsed a few times while he was there until ultimately, um, when he was at the last treatment center, when he did overdose. So he overdosed while after he left the treatment center he left a treatment center okay. went to another treatment center which was an outpatient treatment center this time while he, and he was living in a halfway house okay. and, and getting treatment at the same time and he, and he overdosed in the halfway house and you're shaking your head yeah you know it, it it's such a common story and it's it's a shame because uh, we see this happen every day you know Opioid use disorder is a chronic disease just like any other disease, just like diabetes is. And sometimes when you have diabetes, you're really good with your diet, your sugar's under control, and then there are times that you're not taking, well, taking care of yourself very well. You're not you know, sticking with your diet, maybe you're not taking your medications. And it's the same thing with opioid use disorder. This is a lifelong problem, it's an addiction. It uh, sticks with you, and sometimes you're doing great. Maybe you have years where you're clean, but there's always that risk that you can relapse at any moment. And uh, so we see people who are clean for a number of years and come back uh, um, to the hospital with um, an overdose. And you know, you you sort of point you uh, touched on a, a part that sort of struck a note with me was someone that leaving a treatment facility and then overdosing and dying. You know, it's it's a common story because uh, someone's using heroin. They start with a small amount, and next thing you know, uh, they're years into their addiction and they're using a large amount. Uh, they go to a treatment facility, they detox, and now they lose the tolerance that they once had. And unfortunately, they go back to using, they have a relapse, and they use the same dose that they were using before they um, went into treatment. And now, since they don't have that tolerance, that's a really large dose for them, and it, uh, and it causes death. And it's not necessarily just kids, right? So we started out mm -hmm. talking about millions of Americans, and... Not at all. It's actually the, the, the group that we see the most number of deaths in is uh, 45 to 55, which is um, much higher than most people usually think. Uh, it's males, white, and between the age of 45 and 55, that's the, the largest group of uh, opioid deaths. Unfortunately, the group that's rising the most are the 18 to 25-year-olds that we're seeing, and those people are starting with prescription opioids. So they're starting with the prescription, but then I read do, online doing all my research, it's really inexpensive. I mean, there's, and, I mean, there's all different forms 
of heroin, right? So, well, certainly. So people usually start with uh, oxycodone or, or hydrocodone. They're exposed to it, whether it was prescribed to them or they take some from their parents' uh, uh, medicine cabinet or they get some from their friends. And it starts the uh, an opioid addiction. They're using a few pills at first, and then it builds. But then eventually, those medications are are it becomes too expensive to keep that habit, uh, and so people will turn to heroin, which is a cheap, high and a very pure, uh, uh, potent uh, medication, just like the oxycodone and heroin. So, I, I keep coming back to you, and I I I, I want to make sure that you're comfortable with continuing your story because I know it's taken a lot and it's six months. But I think it's really, I know that it's really important to you to share this story and I, I just applaud you and I thank, thank you, you for, as a mom, I thank you to share your story. Tell us where you and your family are today and we have us standing up for Kenny. I know that you have started a foundation. Do you want to share with us some information about the foundation so that parents who maybe have also lost a child to heroin addiction or addiction can support the foundation. Sure, sure, yeah. Um, the, the Standing Up for Kenny is, is really just a Facebook page that was created by a friend at the time of Kenny's memorial service, um, encouraging all, all the folks at the, at the service and just the public in general to really stand up against this opioid opioid addiction. Um, that was a hard word. Yeah. Mm. <laughs> um, to, to stand up and make a difference and, and to, to have a voice. Um, so that's what the Standing Up for Kenny is and, it's, and it's, it's on the Facebook page and we have corresponding bracelets. And the foundation is a nonprofit corporation that we established that we're going to be opening a sober living house in the South Jersey area. So that's fabulous. So you know, the show is called Bouncing Back, and, and we're all bouncing back from something. And, and I think this is really helping you, you know, bounce back through, you know, maybe it's a little therapeutic for you as well. We have very little time left, but before we wrap up, one of the things I'd like to talk about real quick is where can we go to get help? You know, so Gail and her husband were able to go, and but where if somebody's watching the show right now, where could they go and get some help? Do you have any recommendations and they're watching and they, they know they're addicted? Well, certainly we need more facilities that are helping people today. You know, the access to help is limited, um, but anyone can go on uh, SAMHSA.org's website, so the Substance Abuse and Mental Health um, Administration, and uh, find an, a, a place that does inpatient or outpatient therapy, whether it's counseling or 12-step program or it's medication awesome. assisted therapy so you so you so before we wrap it up we're recommending everybody go online and and find that place that can help you local in your community our thanks our big thanks today to Gail and Dr. Razio this an epidemic whether it be a virus or an addiction is a tragedy suffered not just by those who fall victim to it but to entire communities and it takes communities of support to help everyone who is suffering Addiction can't be reduced to a moral or criminal issue. It's about the intrinsic value of each and every human life. Either we value them or we don't. Because if we won't help our loved ones through their hard times, who else will? Once again, I'm Lisa Bien, and I look forward to seeing you next time on Bouncing Back. Hello, I'm Lisa Bien, and welcome to Bouncing Back. <laughs> that makes a way. Be honest and communicate. Honest.
Be your authentic self. That's yeah. so critical.